Welcome to Radio KBPV, Tales of Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village, a podcast about the history of southwestern Alberta, presented by Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village of Pincher Creek. Hey, keep it down over there. I'm trying to read. my story reading baby you should hear the things that she says she says hun drop dead i'd rather go to bed with gabriel garcia marquez cuddle up with william s burroughs leave on the light for bell hooks i've been flirting with pierre burton because he's so smart in his books i like to go out dancing my baby loves a bunch of authors my heart's so broken bleeding baby's just sitting there doing some reading on today's author profile, we're going to be speaking to Fred Stenson, a local boy named Good. Uh, he's a novelist, nonfiction, and writer, and film writer, and known widely across Canada, has won several Guild Awards with his books. And of course, as I've said, he is a native son, raised here in ranching country near Twin Butte, and attended school in Pitcher Creek, and now he is back here in town and is making his home here now. And among his award-winning and acclaimed novels are The Trade, Lightning, and The Great Carew, and his latest, uh, Who by Fire, which is the story of a southern Alberta farm family who suddenly have an industrial gas plant on their doorstep. I think it is somewhat autobiographical, but I will let Fred talk chat about that. So what, my... So now that I've chased your customer away, <laughs> um, I'm talking here with the world-famous Fred Stanson, who happens to be a denizen right here of the area, southwest Alberta, grew up around Twin Butte area, around the Yarrow Creek area, and now you're living in Pincher Creek now? Yes, I am. Yeah, I've returned to Pincher. If you've never heard of Fred Stenson, well, I don't know what cave you've been living in, uh, because he has several novels that have been acclaimed uh, nationally, uh, The Trade, Lightning, Who by Fire, and I think I'm missing The Great Carew. Mm-hmm. And have I missed any, any of them? Well, those are my historical fictions. I've got I have a bunch of older sort of comedic books and, oh, quite a few nonfiction books over the years, but, yeah, about 20 books. And you've got a lot of uh, experience nationally in different kinds of writing. I think the first time I met you, I was getting interviewed in Fort McLeod, and you were writing a, a script for the Mounted Police, uh, oh, that's right. 125th, I think it was. In yeah, years. that's right. That's yeah. right. It was. I don't even mind that they put my interview on the floor. But <laughs> I it yeah, that was a, a <laughs> sort of feature-length docudrama, you know, that was done... Uh, Oh, by a couple of companies, uh, from one from Ottawa and one from Quebec, and uh, kind of a co-production and so on. And yeah, it was an interesting project, that. Yeah, and sometimes you, you, when you're going through the TV, and if you actually watch through the credits on various shows, you'll see his name pop up. So, <laughs> so he knows his craft. So tell me a little bit about your novel, what you like to write, and mm. what yeah. it is that inspires you. Right. Well, um, starting in 1985, I started a, a, a nonfiction um, novel, or I'm sorry, a, non, a, a novel, historical novel called *The Trade*, uh, 
and it took me 15 years to get it done. And um, uh, it, you know, it was actually well received, which kind of stimulated me to to continue with a kind of a series, not quite a trilogy or anything like that, but a series of of slightly related novels about different periods of of West Western Canadian history. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I was just inspired, I think, by a lot of the lesser-known people, le- lesser-known stories um, that, you know, I mean, most of the, you know, non-fiction books will tend to write about the major figures, the the people who are the higher-ranking officers, say, in the Hudson's Bay Company, like George Simpson or someone like that. But um, the lesser lights, uh, really interesting characters who are, are hardly ever even named, so... There's nobody not interesting in the perjury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, that was true. So that was kind of my goal, is just to um, write something that wasn't sort of top-down, but sort of bottom-up. And, and uh, uh, yeah, it was very enjoyable. And Yeah, then after the fur trade, I, I dealt with the uh, the cattle drive, cowboys on the cattle drive that came up to stock the Cochrane Ranch. And... and uh, just a kind of fictional stories associated with that. And uh, Great Carew was uh, Western Canadian, um, Western Canadians who, who joined the Canadian Mounted Rifles to fight, uh, well, officially for Britain uh, against the uh, Boer. Uh, they called them rebels, actually. They were more residents than, than we rebels. More than three dozen of those real-life characters right here in Pigeon Creek. Yeah, you to South Africa, and three did not come home. That's, that's very right. Uh, and, and, um, and those characters uh, are, appear in the novel and the, and the story, the battle, um, where, where they all th- or two out of the three lost their lives uh, was, uh, is definitely one of the incidents in the novel. And, and the other fellow that died, who actually died of accidental poisoning, uh, he's quite a, a, a major character. He was a French-Canadian fellow who cowboyed out here, and um, really quite an unknown guy. When I went, up, went down to uh, South Africa, they had um, moved quite a few of the graves, because uh, originally they just buried people where they died. You know, and, and so they were scattered all, scattered all over, and nobody was really taking care of the graves. So they they moved them uh, into like big, bigger towns uh, where they could be cared for. And the Canadian government fessed up a lot of money for for nice uh, stones for for everyone. And uh, I never expected uh, to find this fellow, but. Um, um, I just stum- stumbled right into his, uh, just walking along the graves, and I didn't even know he'd been, yeah, Ovid, and, and uh, I didn't even know Ovid Smith um, um, had been... somebody named Smith? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know he'd been kind of transplanted into this other grave, so I was stunned to run into that grave and find it right away. That was in a place called Middleburg. In the tr- connection to that, we're probably not 20 feet from uh, uh, the gravestone of Fred Morden, who was one of the two that was killed at, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, Honig Spreet, or 
Oh, I did it. Okay, all right. And uh, of course, uh, north side of Pincher Creek, uh, basically, is all the street names here are living memories of the entire Morden family, including Frederick. And Frederick Street runs just to the north of here. And we do have a gravestone here in the museum that was made for Fred Morden, but never was put over his bones. I guess he was intended to have been exhumed and brought home, and it just never happened. So did, were you able to find his original grave? No, uh, no, I, I didn't. Uh, I mean, I, I saw the Honig Spruit. Spruit means creek, basically, yeah. and, and Honig is honey. And uh, so I was in a bus, and, and I saw the sign, and that was about, uh, about it. It's a very, very small creek, uh, like that part of South Africa. It's prairie. And, um, it's very similar to this area. They call it the Veldt. Yeah, mm-hmm, that's very right. very similar, and I think that's probably why so many Western Canadians went to that. Uh, yeah, because wide open. familiarity. And a wide open country. I think, you know, they could take their horses. That was, I think, part of the attraction. Um, they actually took them by train to Halifax, and then there's kind of a converted cattle boat from there to Cape Town. And, um, I mean, needless to say, I guess most of those horses didn't come back. I mean, almost all of them were at the bottom of the ocean. Well, yeah, some are, and just a, it was just such a hard war on horses, you know. They were, uh, they were killed right and left and center, just worn out, too, you know. It was so, the distances were so great, and often um, very little water, um, like the Honig um, Spruit, that's part of the, um, not far from the Karoo Desert, and that Crew Desert was the first cam, little campaign that the Canadians, the Canadian Mounted Rifles, served on. And uh, I mean, they barely saw a single Boer soldier, but they were practically defeated anyway by the weather. First of all, it was extremely dry. Then it rained torrentially for three days and practically drowned them. And, and uh, so it was. Uh, they certain now that was very early on that they discovered what a harsh place it it can be. One of the uh, landmarks we have between Pincher Pincher Creek and your home in uh, Twin Butte uh, is the Robert Kerr Road that bisects Highway 6. So does Robert Kerr feel it? uh, For those who don't know, Robert Kerr was so honored that at one point the MD of Pincher Creek, or at least part of it, was known as the the district of Robert Kerr. So they actually named the entire... So there was this great honoring of these fallen dead after the war was over. And and I think a lot of people don't even think about South Africa. They don't even think, like, we had people down there. What were they doing? So, you know, can you explain that juxtaposition and how we've kind of lost that out of our memory? Well, you know, it's interesting. I've often thought that, and, and I mean, having toured this book all over Canada, the, and, you know, I traveled with it to the South Africa, too, and, but, but here, people, um, you know, they, they, they say, I don't know anything about the Boer War, or I didn't know our guys went there. And, uh, um, and I think the reason it was so forgotten is just because of its proximity to World War I. Um, so it was, like, um, I mean, 
a major conflict, uh, Boer War, and also a place where they pioneered all kinds of weaponry and styles of war that were then used in World War One. But I think World War One was so massive and tragic and mortal for so many men that it, it just the size of it eclipsed uh, the Boer War, and, and the Boer War as a result was sort of forgotten. The Boer War came just a year after our American cousins had fought their Spanish-American War. They came back from that, well, they elected a president out of that war, and they called it the, the Splendid Little War. So there was this... Even though you knew people were going to die and killed in horrific ways, you knew that uh, there, there was glory and to it. You know, there was, we'd, we'd kind of forgotten how badly it could be. And, of course, the First World War dropped that in spades. And, and if, of course, unfortunately, we don't seem to really have learned how badly it can be. We keep seeking to get back into these conflicts. But I think on a lot of... A hundred years later, ongoing... I think it's on a lower scale. I think the Second World War finally told us, you know, how badly we can do things. Mm-hmm. And to, let's, let's, as Churchill said, let's jaw, jaw, jaw before we wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, if you look at uh, the Boer War, you know, in terms of casualties and, um, and so on, I mean, uh, it's just not on the same scale as the World Wars at all. The total number of Canadian casualties, I don't want to give the number, but I think it because I don't know it, I just think it was around uh, 100 or something, uh, not very many. And, and um, most of the Canadian deaths were not uh, battle wounds. They were disease and injury. And, bad water. Yeah, bad water, yeah. So... Um, well, speaking of bad water, um, that might take you to your, well, probably your more personal book, uh, Who by Fire. <laughs> so you can tell me a little bit about how you came to that to talk about a gas plant. And uh, yeah. you knew all about that because it was on your back door as you grew up. Yeah, when, um, yeah, when I was oh, seven years old or eight years old, about when they um, started building a gas plant just a half a mile west of us, upwind and uphill from us, and, uh, um, and, it, uh, and it started small, but then as soon as it was uh, up and running, they, uh, they, I mean, more than quadrupled the size, but it became a very big plant for a while. And um, the, the funny thing is that the, the original plant, smaller plant, there was no pilot. There was no table top lab uh, uh, pilot or what do they call those, a model um, for the plant. And uh, so basically the first plant that they erected and, and started up was their pilot. And where that becomes important was the fact that uh, they had never in the world, anywhere in the world, uh, processed gas that was that sour, meaning high percentage of hydrogen sulfide and high pressure, 1,500 pounds per square inch. And what they discovered was that uh, the steel wouldn't hold it. Uh, there was um, uh, there was something called uh, cracking, hydrogen cracking. Um, that happened at such speed that uh, 
um, that that the vessels would just split open. They would they would uh, the steel the would would just crack and leak. So when you're when you have uncontained high pressure, highly poisonous gas uh, getting loose, I mean you got a, a real problem. And living downwind of it was was quite hellish. But what I wanted to do was was sort of tell that story and even use a kind of a family diary of the events of that period as a basis, but I wanted it to be a different kind of family than ours, a uh, different kind of problem. So I, I thought if a, if a marriage had been a bit insecure um, and, and you had to go through that, you know, it was bound to bound to shatter or likely to shatter and that was the kind of thing that I, I sought to portray. So was that like a parallel to what the, the cracking inside the pipes? <laughs> in a way, in a way, yeah. Yeah, and um, so I follow the, the main character is the youngest son uh, in this family of three children and um, and he happens to be very, very good at the sorts of things that make you um, uh, an engineer in the oil industry, which is what he eventually became. So it's it's kind of to do with his um, conscience, his difficulties of conscience, you know, functioning in the world that kind of destroyed his own um, family and and their their farm uh, value and so on. Okay, well, thank you very much, Fred. It's uh, been a great talk to you. I've always wanted to sit down and have an <laughs> extended one. The last years, we were, there were just too many of us to. Right, right okay, thank you, yeah, and thank uh, you, good luck. Thank you.